we will continue our um, presentation. The title is Walking with God, Practical Ways to Maintain a Vibrant Connection with Christ. And um, this will be the second session, God's Ecstasy and His Sorrow. Um, how many of you were here this morning? One. Okay. <laughs> Let's fire heads for prayer. Dear me, Father, thank you so much for this um, weekend where you have fed us with so much spiritual food. Help us to digest them well and let it become strength to our souls. I pray that you be with us this afternoon with your Holy Spirit. Open our hearts and minds. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I spoke a little bit about um, about the Word of God, the importance of studying God's Word, and uh, kind of tied that in with what it means by uh, name of the Lord. Anyway, if you don't, if you haven't, if you weren't here this morning, then you can, I guess, hear it at the audio audio verse. <laughs> Um, actually, this is kind of reversed because uh, I was going to do the uh, third seminar this time, but I'm going to just go by the order. This afternoon, I want to kind of talk about what, God, what makes God extremely happy and what makes Him sad. And um, why don't we turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, there are three parables. The parable of lost sheep and the lost coin and the prodigal son. My son, Evan, Several years ago, when he was maybe about seven years old, he came to our room where my wife and I were about to sleep. And he said, Daddy, can I sleep with you, you and Mommy? And he's seven years old, he's kind of scared and said, no, you need to go sleep in your room. So he went back to his room. About an hour later, uh, my wife went to check on him. And when, he went, when she went there, he wasn't in his bed. And so she said, you know, maybe he went to uh, his sister's room. So went to sister's room, he wasn't there. So we had another room. She went over there. Wasn't there either. And so she started searching the house. And, um, and she came to me and said, I cannot find Evan. Now, at that time, we were living in a, a small home in Rocky Face, Georgia. 
And right next to our house, there was a, uh, a lake. And the bad thing about it is, beside the lake, there was a construction going on. Now the construction site, every night we hear some, uh, you know, um, bad things going on. We knew there were like, you know, people are doing drugs and maybe doing other not so um, kosher behavior. <laughs> and we could actually hear some music and things like that. And so I knew, you know, that was not a safe spot. And it was right next to our house, they were building. And um, my wife always said, lock the door, lock the door, you know. So that, you know, um, so first thing I did was I went to check the, check the front door to see if, if the door was locked. And guess what? It was unlocked. <laughs> and then I started looking, searching the house for my son. Every single room, every single closet, garage, I mean everywhere. I was so desperate that I started opening up, I mean, lifting up the bed and the uh, box spring and mattress like this, you know. And so, um, you know, he, he wasn't anywhere. And we've been searching for about, I don't know, maybe an hour and a half. And we started panicking. And, you know, there was a picture of my son on the... Um, on the door of our um, refrigerator. And my wife was going through, going uh, to the area and she started crying. I mean, I've never seen her cry, wailing, just crying and wailing. And here I am, I was stunned and I was just kind of going, I can't believe it. I was sure that he was kidnapped. You know what I mean? And um, so I, he was about seven. And so, I mean, we searched the house. He's not there. I mean, nowhere. And it was about midnight now. And so I, we called the police. And the police said, you know, in case of possible kidnapping, we take it very seriously, we're going to have two police go, in, go over there. So, okay. And then we also called our brother-in-law. And so he brought his, um, his car and this million candlelight uh, flashlight. And he was flashing that. I mean, at, this is after midnight now, you know. And he was going all around the neighborhood shouting his name. Evan, Evan, you know, I probably, I'm sure he woke up all the neighbors up. And, um, and just thinking that I will never see him again, just made me really, really just, I mean, upset and sad and just, I just cannot describe to you that feeling. The son that you love so much is gone. And um, we're just waiting for the police to come because we searched everywhere. I mean, he was not 
in the bed, under the bed, or between the bed. <laughs> and so, as I, as I was downstairs just thinking about my son, I heard the most wonderful words. My brother-in-law said, I found him. I found him. <laughs> I said, Praise the Lord. I ran up upstairs where he was was he was sleeping at the floor at the bottom, uh, foot of the bed of my daughter's room. And that there was a chest. A, 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 um, that chest contains blankets. Okay? And I I remember opening that up and I seen seen blankets. But he was actually under the blanket. Okay, and it was under the under the blankets, and uh, my brother-in-law had sense enough to take all the blanket out, and he was under there, and I saw him, and he was just sweating. I mean, he was so hot, you know. And I took him to his uh, room, and he he went to sleep. I mean, he was he continued to sleep. And in the morning, I asked I asked him, Evan. Do you know what happened last night? He said, no. <laughs> you don't know what happened last night. None of us got any sleep. And, uh, but you know, we didn't you know, scold him or anything. But we're just so happy that you're alive. You're still alive. Still continue to be our son on this earth. And um, all that time, he had no idea we're looking for him. You know, and if you look at um, the parables of Luke chapter fifteen, you'll see what makes God ecstatic, joyous. Three parables. Number one is the lost sheep. We know that story well, right? A man has hundred sheep. He loses one. What does he say? so glad, you know. I don't have to feed one anymore. Does he say that? Or does he say, I have 99? Or did I say when my son was lost, this is great, you know, Linda, <laughs> talking, you know, I don't want to make it so loud, but we're really happy that he's gone because we only have to feed two now. Two, two. I have a daughter and another son. And we're going to save on his clothes, food, car, college, I mean, did I say that? Did that even enter my mind? No, that's the way God is. You know, 99, doesn't matter. Even if you had a million sheep, if he had lost one, he would have gone after that, right? And what happens after that is, if you look at verse 7, what does it say? I say unto you that likewise, what shall be in heaven? Joy shall be in heaven over one sinner. One. Did you know Ellen White says, when sinner returns to Christ, God sings? You know, we heard some beautiful music. Can you imagine hearing the choir of angels? I mean, I can't imagine how beautiful that is. You know, one of the one of the music that I like to hear is the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. It's beautiful. 
but the choir of angels. But now, not the choir of angels, but the voice, the singing of God Himself. Can you imagine that? He sings every time a sinner returns to Christ. And here you can see there's a joy shall be in heaven over one sinner. One sinner that repents. Second parable, lost coin. What happens? There is there are ten coins, right? And the lady loses one. What does she do? She goes and finds it. Same. Same thing, right? Look at this. Look at verse 10. It says, Likewise, I say unto you, there shall be what? Joy in the presence of the angels of God over how many sinners? One sinner that repents. Now, what's the third parable? Is the prodigal son. The second son, he says, Father, give me what I what belongs to me. It doesn't really belong to him, but God, you know, the Father being gracious, gives him what he wants. He goes and he spends all that in, you know, frivolous living and he loses everything and there's a famine in the land. All his friends run away because, you know, he has no more money. And what does he do? He does a, the worst thing he can do as a Jew that is, tend to the pigs, right? And then what does he, he eats with them. And he realizes that in his father's home, his servants are being taken care of better than what he's been, how he's being taken care of now, right? So he decides he's going to go back to his home. Not as a son, but as a servant. But does his father even think about, does he say, well, I, I knew this was going to happen, and you're going to pay this price, pay the price. What does he do? When he was a far way off, his father runs, right? He runs towards him and hugs him and gives him, and gives him his robe and ring. And, and what does he say here in verse 23? And he says, bring here the fatty calf, kill it, and let us eat and be merry, or be joyful, right? Now, you know, in all these parables, um, if you read Christ's Object Lessons, you know, th- this represents every single lost person in the world. Did you know that? The lost coin. The coin does not know. Coin doesn't have a brain, right? Coin does not know that it's lost. There are people in the world who are lost, and they don't know they're lost. God still looks for them. Sheep has a brain, knows it's lost but cannot find a way, but is searching for home. So, there are people in the world who are searching for the truth. You know, they try this religion, that religion, this religion. You know, I have a, I have a cousin 
when he was seven years old, he was wrestling his nine-year-old older brother. And his older brother was like the jewel of the family. And you know what happened as they were wrestling? He, by accident, he put him down and his head hit a rock. And his older brother died. He killed his older brother by accident. And he was so traumatized by this, he became, he, he became a philosopher. He decided to study different religions. He studied every single religion you can think of. He studied Buddhism, you know, Hinduism, I mean, Muslim, I mean, everything, you know, Islam and Jewish religion, everything. He searched for years and years and years and years and years. And he said he found all the answers in the Bible. He became a Christian. Anyway, there were people like that. And you know, he, he thinks, he thought he was looking for God, but it, it was in fact God was looking for him. You know? So there are many, many people in this world who are lost and they know they're lost. And they're searching for the truth. God looks for them. The prodigal son knows he is lost. Right? The thing about him is that he knows where the truth is. He knows where home is. These are the backslidden people. They know the truth. But they don't like it too much. So they have to go out of the way. <laughs> they experience the world. Then they realize that the truth that, that really gives them peace is found in God. Right? So every one of them, all the sing, every single lost person, those people who don't, who don't even know they're lost, those people who are searching for the truth, those people who are backslidden, all those belong to one of these. That's why God gave these three parables in a row. Saying, I love all of you. I'm searching. Searching for you. You know, um, but you know what? Even though God does all these things, we, what do we do? A lot of times we just ignore His pleading. You know, many of us here maybe, you know, may belong to one of these three. One day, I don't sing well, but um, our church said they really need people to start a choir. And so they asked me to come on a Friday afternoon to just be a body there. <laughs> okay. And so I said, Okay, I'm a church elder. I will support the church. I'll go. 
So Friday afternoon came, and I went to the church. And as I was walking down the hallway, there was a phone that was ringing. Kept ringing and ringing and ringing and ringing and ringing. I said, somebody has to answer the phone. Okay, it wouldn't stop ringing. So I answered the phone. I said, hello. It's a, a young lady on the other, other line. says, is this a church? And I said, yes. Um, we need help. My mother and I are at Motel 6. And we need somebody to help us pay for one night stay. And here I'm thinking, okay, what should I do? Should I go help this lady or go to choir? I think it's easier to go to the help this lady. <laughs> so, so I tell them, you know, I need to go. I need to help somebody. So I went. And there was this young lady with her mother. And she said, you know, my mother has cancer. And uh, my boyfriend and I and my mother, we just came from Arkansas a few days ago. And my boyfriend took off with the car, with our, with our clothes and everything. And she's been, she had been cleaning the motel as part of her stay, you know. And they gave her some money, and they were eating out of the vending machine. And I went to their house, I mean, to the room, and the mother was really just really sick, and, uh, and um, there were this candy wrappers everywhere on the floor. And I felt so bad for her. I said, okay, I, I will pay for tonight's stay, but how about tomorrow? And she said, tomorrow, I'm going to call a different church. How about that? How about after that? She said, I will call another church. So you're going to just keep calling churches? Yes. Well, let me try to help you more permanently. So let me uh, pay for one week stay. So I gave him one week stay. And um, you need a job. So I called one of my friends. Actually, that was good timing because he was looking for somebody. And so I called my, one of my friends and said, can you hire this young girl? And she can, she can, she looks like she's pretty intelligent and she can probably do you know, reception work. I said, okay, I'll give her a job. Tell her she can start on Monday. And um, this mother has cancer. So I called one of my friends and said, listen, um, there's a person here who's in need, no insurance, can you help this lady? He says, oh yes, I'd be more than happy to help her. So everything was all arranged. And as I was about to leave, I thought, you know, they don't have, they don't have any clothes. I mean, in order for her to work, she needs to have clothes, right? And also, they need food. So we said, now this was, by the, by the time everything was arranged, it was almost sundown. Friday afternoon. But I felt this was important important thing to do. So I called, I mean, I told, the, I told the daughter, let's go to Walmart. And um, 
I said that, um, why don't you buy some food that you need? So she got a cart and she went and she got lots of food. <laughs> it was, it was like $300 worth of food, you know? And so, then after that I said, why don't you buy, buy some clothes that you need? I said, what you need? She goes, okay. And uh, it just happened that my wife was out of town, and I had my son with me. And I was holding him, and, and I was expecting her to shop for maybe, you know, maybe 10, 20 minutes, you know. <laughs> she was shopping for two hours. She told me to, you know, sit on one of the chairs. So I just sat there thinking just, you know, I'm, I know I'm doing the right thing. You know, I'm thinking like this, you know. She came back. There was nobody else in the store except, except her and myself and my son. And here, look at this. Here I am. And I was shocked. She brought three trays, I mean three, uh, what is it, carts? And things are overflowing, okay, overflowing and things are dropping on the floor. She had seven pairs of shoes, okay? She could, she got every single clothes she could think of, it seems like. Not only that, <laughs> She even had bathing suit. Okay, so she brings all this to the uh, cashier. And you know, the, there are other cashiers, and they have nothing to do because there's nobody else in the, in the store. And so they all came to that counter. And it's going through a beep, beep, beep. Because <laughs> hundred. 200, 300, 400, 500, 1,000, 1,500, 2,000, 3,000. What? I said, and then the lady who's doing this, she's been doing that for about an hour, you know. <laughs> she said, who's going to pay for this? And she said, he will, pointing at me. And at that time, I started praying. I said, you know, this is not right. And I said, God... If this is somebody that you really want me to help, give me an incredible amount of compassion in my heart. <laughs> Otherwise, give me a heart that is very cold. I pray that right there. And suddenly my heart became icy cold. <laughs> and so I said, I want you to stop everything. And I thought, you know, I was going to make everybody upset because, you know, they've been doing this for an hour, you know. <laughs> they all, they, they took away, I said, I want you to take away all the clothes and all the things, shoes, everything. I'm going to only buy the food. And you know what they did? They all started clapping. I mean, all of them started clapping. And then... I realized something. I realized that is called something called abuse of grace. 
You know what I mean? And we think this is this girl is ridiculous, right? But we do exactly the same thing to God. We abuse His grace all the time. I forgive you. We'll do it again. <laughs> do you realize we abuse God's grace? And that was a great lesson for me. And I said, God, forgive me for using or abusing your grace. How you've been so kind to me. You're willing to sacrifice your son for me. But look. Look at what I do. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. All of you here, just think about that story. When you live this life, how God is disappointed. He's disappointed when you abuse His grace. Because there comes a time when the mercy we no, will no longer You're, you know, messing up the uh, my concentration. You know, <laughs> I need to start all over. Um, <laughs> I tell you, it's so. We need to think about that. There will be a time where the holy we will our hearts will no longer respond to the Holy Spirit, and we will no longer repent as we keep on. Abusing His grace. He, he gives us grace as much as we, we want. But it is up to us. As we harden our hearts, we, don't, we no longer hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And He goes away grieved. You know? And I learned a great lesson. That, what, that makes God sorrowful. Grieving of the Spirit. The Spirit grieves. We studied about His joy. Now one thing that causes Him to grieve is what? As we abuse His grace. You know, I keep telling this story about my son. There's another story about my son, Evan, again. (coughs) One day... We have a big property, and um, he found some wild rabbits, five of them. And um, he brought them in to our house. The mother was killed by a dog. We're suspecting probably it was our dog. (laughs) But um, he felt obligated to care for these five wild rabbits. But we know that wild rabbits, they don't do well in a home environment, you know? And so, he went into the internet and started figuring out how to raise these five rabbits. So he got all these, um, um, he said, 
you can start feeding them cat um, milk or something. So we got cat milk, and he built this cage out of cardboard box boxes, and you know he was trying to take care of them. And he just fell in love with these wild rabbits. But the first night, one of the rabbits starts becoming very, very weak. And just kind of start losing its energy. And then a few hours later, we found that this rabbit was dead. And so my son, he started crying. He said, I love this this rabbit. What are we going to do? So we need to give him a proper burial. So we took the, this dead rabbit next to the barn, and we dug a big a hole, put him in, put some rocks on top of it, and then we had a little cross. Next night, it happened again to the second rabbit. It has started being um, weak and cold, started losing its energy, and guess what? And it died again. Another one. Not died again, but died. <laughs> second one. <laughs> and so he said, and he started crying again. What are we going to do? So we decided to bury this rabbit next to the other one. Do the same thing. Dug a hole, put some dirt, rocks with a cross. Third night, the third one did the same thing. We started doing this. We did the same ritual. Fourth night, did the same thing. I mean, it just seemed like just, I don't know why they don't all die once. <laughs> they just die one, one, one at a time. But, um, I mean, Evan, he's just going crazy. He's just crying all the time, and he just doesn't want to eat, doesn't want to sleep. They don't, he doesn't want to do anything. He just wants to take care of these, these you know, uh, rabbits. And... Um, Four died and only one left. And he said, Daddy, I'm not going to let this one die. But that night, guess what? Started doing the same thing. Becoming very weak, getting cold, didn't want to eat. He said, I'm not going to let this, let this one die. So what he did was he put it in his belly, started stroking and then start feeding him. And um, he started that around like 8 o'clock or something like that. And then I checked on him about 10 o'clock. He was still doing it. And the, and the, uh, the rabbit was still alive. He kept doing this. And then 12 o'clock, I went, he was still doing this. Two o'clock. I, I, I mean, I didn't sleep all night. <laughs> we gotta keep checking on him. He was doing the same thing. I said, Evan, you need to go to sleep because if you don't sleep, I can't sleep either. 
So he, he just kept doing it, 4 o'clock in the morning, still doing it. And you know, this rabbit was alive. 6 o'clock, he didn't sleep all night. And I didn't sleep all night. And as I, it, it's incredible, next morning, this rabbit perked up. And it was fine. And it started jumping and, you know, and it was incredible. All the sacrifice that he went through, you know. And um, we had to go to Alaska during that time. And he didn't know what to do with this rabbit. You know, we can't take, you know, we can't take this rabbit to Alaska. <laughs> and so he got somebody who knew a lot about uh, rabbits, wild rabbits, and gave it to him and gave him very good instructions how to take care of this rabbit. And, if the, and he said, if, you, if this rabbit started, if you feel like he's going to die, all I have to just, you know, <laughs> pet him and feed him and do that all night, you know. <laughs> and so... And you know, we were gone for a week, and every night, Evan would write in his journal about his rabbit. Just always thinking about this rabbit. And then, and the day before we came back from Alaska, we, we contacted the person who was taking care of the rabbit. And he said, I don't know how to tell you this, but the rabbit just died. And I did not know how, when I should tell Evan, my son. He said, should we wait until we go home or should we tell him now? We said, we should tell him now because at least it'll give him time to grieve and everything, you know. That way, when we go home, it'll be there'll be more peace rather than going home and he's finding out. And so we told him, and he just we should have waited actually because he he made our plane ride and everything so miserable. He didn't want to eat anything. I mean, we went to the restaurant to eat something. He didn't want to have anything to do with food. The only thing he wanted to do was go see his ra- his rabbit. And so, we went straight to that person's house and got the rabbit, gave it a burial. And I was, as I was looking at this whole thing, my heart was really hurting for my son more. And I really didn't have any attachment to this these rabbits. But my son, looking at him, you know? And I said, what a waste of all his love for this rabbit. Rabbits. In John 3.16, what does it say? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whosoever believes in Him, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God gave His Son, right? But how many, how much, how many of us
neglect that love. His love goes to waste. You know? And that gave me a big lesson on how God loves us so much. If a little boy can love an animal this much, how much God loves us. So He doesn't want us to abuse His grace nor His love, right? You know, in... um, You know, I was invited to speak at a church in Detroit, Metro Church. Um, And I was... I went to speak there, but I got more blessing. Because what happened was, there is um, Pastor Pastor Stewart. I don't know if you know him. Godly, godly man. But his wife, Sandy Stewart, has a prayer ministry. Powerful. What she'll do is she'll write she has a notebook, write the prayer request, and then the date and the time, and then on the other side she'll write how God answered that prayer. You know, she had that. And um, and she'll write the prayer request for all people. If you have a problem, call her up. Sandy Stewart. She'll write it down and she'll pray for you. She gave, she told me some incredible answers to prayer. And one day, she asked God this question or a request. She said, God, i like to see, I want to know your heart. I want to get to know your heart. The core, what is, you know, what is in the core of your heart? She said she was one day, she went to sleep, and she had a dream. And when she, in the middle of the dream, she realized she was in the middle of the New Jerusalem. She saw the city. It was the most incredible sight, she said. It was so beautiful. And she couldn't believe she was actually there. She was just so happy. So beautiful. Can you? Did you know every one of us one day will see the New Jerusalem? Lost or not? If you're lost, you'll be outside looking. If you're saved, you'll be in there looking. So all of us will see that, okay? Hopefully you'll be inside. (laughs) Anyways, as she was looking at and admiring this wonderful city, she noticed something strange. Because around the city was a total darkness. It was totally dark. Except she saw a little glow of orange way in the distance and she looked and looked and looked at the blackness and she goes why is it so dark you know 
As she was looking, she realized these blackness, there were people. They're all coming towards the city. And as she was looking even closer, she realized there was her son outside the city. And son started running towards her and she started running towards him. And then she met a wall. <laughs> there was a glass divider. And on the other side, son said, Mom, let me in. Mom, let me in. Just let me in. And she was looking for an entrance. She couldn't find it. And she was just devastated. And so she was just doing everything possible to try to have, try to have him come in. And the, pro- the thing was, at that time, I don't know what the situation is now, but her son had left the church and she had been praying for him. And so this made this situation doubly painful for her. And as she was standing there, didn't know what to do, there was tap on her shoulder. She looked and there was Jesus. She goes, finally, you know, somebody can help me. And you know, she said this also, you know, before, the city that looked so beautiful, when she saw her son outside, that city didn't look so beautiful anymore. At that time she said, I will change my place with my son. As he was thinking about all this, there's knock on her shoulder, a tap on her shoulder. There's Jesus. And sadly said, Jesus, you can help me. You can help me. And this is what Jesus said. Sandy, you must destroy your son. That doesn't sound like Jesus. She goes, what? What do you mean I have to destroy my son? I can't destroy my son. That's all Jesus said. He kept saying, Sandy, you must destroy your son. She just couldn't believe that Jesus was saying this. That's all he was saying. No words of comfort. Nothing to try to help him come in. Just said, you must destroy your son. And she woke up. And then she realized the heart of God. You know why? There will come a time when Jesus has to destroy His sons and daughters whom He has died for, that He gave His Son for. Do you think at that time it will be a joyous day for Him? As He is destroying His own sons and daughters 
that's the heart of God. Just like Sandy, who did not want to destroy her son. There's no way she could destroy her son. She would die before that. And God did, didn't He? God sent His Son. Jesus died so they didn't have to experience that. He did all these things. He did everything possible to save us. But guess what? Because of our stubbornness, because of our idols, because of our own ways, one day, God has to destroy the ones that He loved intensely. You know, in Revelation it says, God will wipe away all tears from their eyes. Right? But where does it say, and who will wipe away the tears from God's eyes? I can just imagine throughout the universe, you know, we're going to be so ecstatic and so happy being there, right? But I just can imagine God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit in some corner of the universe crying. Not just one time, but perhaps throughout eternity. Because you know what? When you lose your child, you can never, ever forget. For eternity. I have some patients who come and I know they've lost their you know, children. You know what? They said, doesn't matter, it's been 50, 60, 70 years they can never forget them. So, we can do something to help God, to make Him happier. You know what we can do? Who can help Him? Not in heaven. It's too late. Who can help Him now on this earth? How can we do that? save His children. That's why evangelism, saving souls, is so important. God has done all these things for us. We can do something for God, right? And it's by evangelism, saving souls. Because we read at the beginning, there's joy in heaven over one sinner that returns to Christ. You know, Ellen White makes this comment. It's found in Science of the Times, June 6, 1892. Listen to this very carefully. This is very profound. There will be no one saved in heaven with a starless crown 
Did you hear that? There will be no one saved in heaven. How many? No one saved in heaven with a starless crown. If you enter there, I mean, if you enter, if you enter, there will be some soul in the courts of glory that has found entrance there through your instrument instrumentality. Now, it doesn't say that you have you have given Bible study. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that you led ten people to baptism. It says you have actually led someone to heaven. There's a big difference. Let me read it again. There will be no one saved in heaven with a starless crown. If you enter, there will be some soul in the course of glory. There is somebody who is saved that has found entrance there through your instrumentality. You know what that means? It's not just... It's not just, you know, nominally just giving somebody, you know, tracts and say, hey, come to church. You know, we have evangelistic series. No, it's, you have to work really, really hard to actually lead this person from this world, not just to church, to the pew, and get baptized. No, you're leading this person through eternal life. You see that? Because what's the use of bringing all these people to church when they eventually get lost anyway? Right? It's no use. And the way it can be done is through your example. If he sees hypocrisy, those people come to church, they're going to leave. They're not going to stay. You need somebody who actually sees Christ in you. They don't say, I want to stay. I want to live with that person. Christianity must become attractive. So, you know, um, what time are we supposed to end? Okay. I want to just say one. I'd like to read one statement, then I will end. Christ died on the cross to save the world from perishing in sin. He asks your cooperation in this work. You are to be His helping hand. With earnest, unwavering effort, you are to seek to save the lost. Are you willing to do that? What Christ has done for you is just so incredible. Are you willing to do something for Christ? To make Him happy in heaven. The more souls He has, the less He has to cry. Right? And I'd like to see Him sing. Hear Him sing. 
throughout eternity because the part that we played in saving souls. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving your Son for salvation of all of us. Help us to do something in return by working for you, saving souls for your kingdom. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.